We're all in process of having the things we know in the Bible to be integrated into our lives and lived out in our daily circumstances. The reason Jesus died and rose again, because the truths we hold and the way we live do not always line up. And that's what grace is all about, isn't it? Grace is all about that even though we fail, God picks up the slack for us in Jesus. So there's no condemnation. Don't think for one second that I'm saying, you don't live out what you believe. You're a bunch of losers. Every decision you make, every word you utter, every thought in your head reflects what you believe. Today in Pastor Daniel's message from Ephesians 3, we'll see how our declarations of faith mean very little if we don't follow through in our actions. Most of us can think of a time where things fell apart and our declarations of, I trust you, Jesus, fell silent. But that's where grace comes in. Now, here's Daniel in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 1, with part one of our message entitled, The Messy Mystery. Did you ever have something that was just so, so good that you kind of can't forget how good it was? Anybody? Yeah, it's happened. See, there are just times in life when even in the midst of messiness and insanity, that something is just so good, so profound that it captivates your mind and your thoughts. You, you find yourself going back to it over and over again, replaying it, saying, man, wasn't that amazing? I had that experience as Pastor Jason Ritchie and I and uh, Jay Bird Coder played a little jazz with Pastor Jason's son, Micah, playing some drums. And I was driving home and I was listening to a, a teaching, and I was just enjoying. There was this one song that we did last night that just really had this great vibe. And I remember just going back in my mind and being like, wow, that was so much fun. I mean, how cool is that? We got to just play music last night. You go back to things that have captivated you. And in a lot of ways, the Apostle Paul, in writing this letter to the Church of the Ephesians, he's stuck He's stuck on something so amazing, so profound, so powerful that he, he goes to leave it, then he comes back to it again. He goes to try and talk about something else, and he finds himself kind of slingshotted back to this reality of what God has done for humanity in Jesus Christ. And sometimes as Christians, as people who are following Jesus, maybe, and no doubt for some of you here today or some of you watching online or those of you who are in the chapel venue, and we see you over there, we know that you guys are there. See, for some of us, we're not really, we don't even realize what God has done for us. We don't even realize what Jesus the finished work of this prophet from Nazareth who is also the son of God. We don't even realize the profound nature of what the cross is all about. And we started to see it last week in the end of Ephesians 2. So we're going to pick it up. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, remember when we started this Life is Messy series. We're going through the book of Ephesians, and I made the, the statement that 
the book of Ephesians breaks very simply in half. The first three chapters are theological or doctrinal, and then chapters four, five, and six, the last three chapters are practical or applicational. Now, I don't know if applicational is a word or not, but we'll find the Apostle Paul makes up his own words too, so I just, I'm just, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, I'll just make up words as I go. But it makes sense because theology always precedes practice. Let me explain that to you because this is an important concept. Everything is theological. Now, that word theological, it means the study of God. That's what theology is. Now, I'm here to tell you that whatever you believe or don't believe about God, that informs your life. So if you're here today and you're like, well, I'm a Christian, then that should inform the way that you live. Theology precedes the way that we live, our practice. Now, if you're here today and you're like, I don't believe in Jesus, guess what? That is still a theological discussion, and that belief drives the way that you live. So everybody's faith-based beliefs about who God is or isn't, what God is or isn't, drives how you live. So I'm here to tell you that everything is theological. And it makes sense that the Apostle Paul discusses the theology of Jesus before he discusses this is how to apply this to the way that we live as people. So Ephesians chapter 3 is the end of that doctrinal or theological section. We'll move into, because of all of these truths about who God is and what Jesus did and how it all worked, from there, then we move into, well, how do we live this out? What does this mean for our lives? And I'm here to tell you, contrary to anything you may have thought before, what we believe needs to make its way out to our feet, to our hands, to our mouths, to our hearts, and to our heads. It's not enough to have right doctrine because what you truly believe is lived out. I can tell more about a person and you can tell more about me by actually watching how I live my life than what I tell you about what I believe. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. And so by extension, out of the abundance of the heart, we act. What's in our heart gets acted out on a daily basis. So I would say, more than signing off on a theological statement of faith, your lives tell what you believe, what you value. And for each one of us, God is in the process. He's in the process of lining up what we know to be true about God and Jesus Christ to the way that we live our lives. Because I don't know how many times I'm like, I trust the Lord, and then something comes up that I don't understand, and I just freak out. Now, either I trust the Lord or I don't. And we should feel that discontinuity in the depths of who we are when we say, I trust God, and then something happens that we can't control, and we're like <gasps> trying to control something, right? Because if we trust God, then we would say, well, God, I don't have control over this, but I never did in the first place. You do. So truly trusting God is lived out more than it's like, and how many times have you caught yourself saying, I'm trusting God and your white knuckle in life, right? I, I've done that a lot. I trust you, Lord. And I'm like, anything I can hold on to. Because I don't really trust God. I trust me controlling my situation. So I'm here to tell you, how we live teaches us what we believe, what we really believe. 
And true, we're all in process of having the things we know in the Bible to be integrated into our lives and lived out in our daily circumstances. All of us. And that's why Jesus died and rose again, brothers and sisters. That's why. The reason Jesus died and rose again, because the truths we hold and the way we live do not always line up. And that's what grace is all about, isn't it? Grace is all about that even though we fail, God picks up the slack for us in Jesus. So there's no condemnation. Don't think for one second that I'm saying, you don't live out what you believe, you're a bunch of losers. Don't think that for a second. Because God knows that none of us live out what we truly believe, and he loves us still. That's the gospel. And so when you see somebody not living in accordance with their testimony, you give them grace. Why? Because you're like, I'm just like that. I don't live out the truths that I hold, but God is working on me. So we give each other the room to be in process. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to actually take the whole chapter. No chuckling. Someone's like, are we going to be here until next Tuesday, Pastor Daniel? Let me just jump in, and we'll see how this works. So I'm just going to take this section by section. So look at Ephesians chapter 3, the first seven verses. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which has been given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promises in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his mighty power. Now, this section means simply that the mystery that Paul is talking about is that Jesus makes us one. Jesus makes us one. This is the mystery. The mystery is that Jesus makes us one. Those chapter breaks were not in the inspired text. So there was no like, okay, one, two. It's not like that. That was put in later with all your verse marks. That wasn't part of the Holy Spirit's way he laid it out for us. But it's for us. It's put in so that we can find things in the Bible and all that. So there's a chapter break here, but the thought hasn't changed yet. This mystery is that Jesus makes us one. And verse 6 points to that. And we'll get there in a second. Now, notice what, it, what happens here. Paul begins, and then he gets sidetracked. Because look at what it says. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you. So for this reason, he's going to make a conclusion. But now notice verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 14. So everything between verses 2 and verse 13 is a spirit-led tangent by the Apostle Paul. Now, as a pastor, I love this. Because when a pastor goes on a tangent, we just learned it from Paul. The Holy, you know, it's like literally, verses 2 to 13 is a tangent. He's going to make a point, and then he gets kind of off. 
But that side trail leads to a beautiful, beautiful waterfall. Do you ever do that when you're hiking? Where you're going, you, take, you go a little bit off the beaten path, and all of a sudden you find something, you're like, oh. My family, we like to hike over at Lacamas Creek, over in Camas. And we've gone all these different ways. And just recently, we took this one turn, and we ended up at this beautiful little lake. And we're like, wow. I'm like, that's my spot right there. And in a lot of ways, this part of Ephesians chapter 3 is like that. The Apostle Paul goes to make a point, and then the Holy Spirit has him take a tangent to a beautiful waterfall, to something amazing. So, so he says here, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul can hear the clank of the, of the things that are holding him. He's in jail when he's writing the letter to the Ephesians. He's bound. He's in prison for his faith. But notice the Apostle Paul doesn't play the victim in his imprisonment. He doesn't believe that it's inconsequential. He sees himself as a prisoner, as a mark of his apostleship. I think one of the greatest issues we have in contemporary American culture is that everybody plays the victim. We have a victim mentality. It's part of our entitlement. Because we live in a culture that loves to be entitled, every time things don't go right, we cry victim. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of us have very legitimate, you've been victimized. But a lot of the things that we throw out there as victims are really just the normal course of life's events. And so the Apostle Paul, if anyone could say, woe is me, I've just served the Lord and look at me, I'm in jail. He's like, no, no, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. I mean, think about, think about the intentionality in that statement. He's not like, man, just by happenstance, I ended up in jail. I, I just don't know. I was just serving the Lord, now I'm in jail. He's like, man, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Talk about seeing God's handprint on our lives. So I think it's important for us, because the Apostle Paul is so strong here, we should learn from that. I realize that life is messy, and I realize that things don't go right. But I believe that playing a victim is a choice we make so we don't really have to see what God is really doing in our lives. And don't get me wrong, some of you have extraordinary circumstances. And I don't want you to feel minimized in having situations that are truly victimizations. But for a lot of us, we play the victim because we're not willing to trust God. Because trusting God does not change our circumstances. It changes us and our circumstances. We see ourselves through the lens of what God is trying to do to make us more like Jesus, as opposed to being like, Lord, I can't control my life. I can't control my circumstances, and I'm just mad. So one is founded in faith, and the other is founded in fear. One is founded in trust. The other one is founded in trepidation. And so the Apostle Paul, he sees his imprisonment. This is a God thing. I'm here by Jesus for you. And then he starts to explain his ministry in verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how by revelation, verse 3, he made known to me the mystery, as I've already written briefly, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of the gospel. 
The Apostle Paul says, look, God has given me a dispensation of grace. He's given me a stewardship. He's given me a charge to proclaim this mystery. And it's a special gift from God. Right? And then he goes on. He's like, listen, as you read what I'm writing, you're going to understand what I understand. You're going to realize that God, by revelation, has given me understanding about what's going on. When was the last time you saw the circumstances of your life as a stewardship and dispensation of grace as opposed to some sort of happenstance that you just have to endure? When was the last time we embraced our lives and said, God, what are you doing through this? How are you working through this? What are you trying to accomplish in me through this? Because the Apostle Paul sees his life in those type of terms. So he's talking about this mystery. That's why I remember I said, the mystery is that Jesus makes us one. And we really start moving into that in verse 5. Because look at what happens. He says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of man, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, you see what he says here? He says that this mystery that he's been talking about in the other ages was not made known. So this mystery is not some secret thing. It's God's plan that now over the general course of time is being revealed. This speaks of the idea of, quote, unquote, progressive revelation, that God has a special time when it was time for all the world to realize that the finished work of the Jewish Messiah was to make everybody one. There was traces of it in the Old Testament. It's there, but now it's in full bloom. It's not just a seed or, or a little stub, but now it's a radiant, a radiant blossom that tells us that God has always had this plan in his heart and mind. It wasn't for previous generations to understand it in its fullness, but now the time has come. Notice the instrument of revelation. It says this, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to the holy apostles and prophets. God's Holy Spirit is the instrument of revelation. That's who the Spirit of God is. He brings understanding and revelation. Now, if you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I believe the Spirit of God wants to reveal things to each one of us uniquely and powerfully. But the Spirit of God speaks in a still, small voice. And that's a challenging thing, isn't it? In a very busy, hectic highly scheduled, overly caffeinated, and stressful world. When was the last time you found a quiet spot and said, Spirit of God, reveal yourself to and in me? I know when I try and do that, the phone always goes off, the email thing dings, and a kid cries or something. But the Spirit is the instrument of revelation for us. And that's an amazing thing because 
oftentimes we think revelation comes through schooling. And don't get me wrong. I think schooling is a good thing. We're blessed we live in a culture with such access to education and information. But you might say, well, I can't go get an education. I don't have the resources. The beauty is, is that in Christ, you get a free endowment of the Spirit. And even if you don't know everything about everything, when you get to know who God is by revelation of his Holy Spirit, you're the most educated person in the world. But do we believe that? Do we believe that the Spirit still speaks today, reveals today, grants understanding today? So notice, the Holy Spirit has revealed this through the holy apostles and prophets. And in verse 6, we get the mystery in very clear terms that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The mysteries that Jesus makes us one. He talked about it in chapter 2. He's coming back to it again. He's so excited about it. The Holy Spirit, through the finished work of Jesus, makes the Gentiles fellow heirs, partakers of the same covenant with the Jewish people. Now, that might not sound earth-shattering to us, but to the Apostle Paul, who was raised in the most religious of Jewish ways, for the Apostle Paul, who, as I said last week, it was a very common prayer that Jewish people would say, Lord, I'm thankful that you did not make me a Gentile. Now, Jews and Gentiles, one of those great divisions in that day, brought together. Now, let me ask you, how many of you in here today are Gentiles? You don't, you're not Jewish background. Raise your hands. Yeah, look at that. A lot of us, that should rejoice in our hearts, that reality. Because before the finished work of Jesus, there were the people who were the descendants physically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was a very small number of people who converted to that. And then there was everybody else. And now we've been made one in Christ Jesus. This unity is so specific for the Apostle Paul that in verse 6, he makes up a number of words. And, and it's just got this prefix, S-Y-N, which means with or co or together. Three different concepts. We should be fellow heirs. We should be co-heirs. We should be of the same body of one body, and then partakers or co-takers together of all that God has done. In the Greek, we don't get it in the, in the English, but in the Greek, this is over and over again. The Apostle Paul is making up words, putting this co-prefix on all these words. We're these things all together. In Galatians chapter 3, Verses 28 and 29, the Apostle Paul says it this way, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Jesus is I wanted to thank you so much for listening in at Jesus is Real Radio. I am blessed and humbled that you would take the time and you would grow alongside of this. Now listen, 
the teaching on Christian radio, it's amazing. Praise God for all the teaching. But listen, just receiving God's word is not God's design for you as a disciple. It Jesus didn't say, listen, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to listen to good Christian teaching. Jesus, in effect, said, listen, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to be part of the family of God, the people of God, the church. Now, listen. Believe me, I know church is not easy. There's all sorts of people at church. Sometimes things don't go well. I don't, for many of you, you probably have church baggage because you got hurt or something went on. But listen, God designed a community of believers, a congregation to be the primary way that we are discipled. And so listen, you need to be involved in a local church. God wants you to be growing with a group of people. You need to be in a church that teaches God's word unashamedly, not one that's going to make excuses. You need to be in a church where the pastor's going to say things that you're not going to like. Why? Because then you go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? You need to be in a church with people who aren't exactly like you. Because in church, when iron is sharpening iron and you're getting rubbed a unique way by someone who you wouldn't normally hang out with, God will do something amazing. So listen, if you're in the Portland, Vancouver metro area, come join us here at Crossroads. But wherever you are, find a good church, not only because God wants you to, but because God wants you to be blessed there and God wants to use your gifts as a blessing in the people of God. God bless you.